Welcome, everyone, to Some Like It's Scott, a part of the Media Plug Podcast Network. I'm your host, Scott Shelton, and I'm here today with my co-host, Scott Harvey. We're affectionately calling today's episode our sound check or pilot episode, where we'll be talking all about last Sunday's Golden Globe Awards, before we spend a little time introducing ourselves to all of you through some movie-related questions. But before we get to any of that, I have to ask, Scott, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Scott. Um, I'm, I'm actually doing greater right now than I was about 10 minutes ago because I was just watching the end of the uh, Viking Saints playoff game um, and everyone will know when they've listened to this uh, incredible ending um, Vikings winning on the last play of the game um, which is exciting not just because it's an exciting play but also as a diehard Carolina Panthers fan um, always glad to see the Saints lose um, especially in such dramatic fashion and especially in the playoffs um, so yeah, that was that was pretty pretty exciting. I may or may not have uh, been yelling and jumping around during that during that final play there. Well, yelling and yelling and jumping around—it sounds like it was probably worth it if it was uh, like kind of the last second. Not not even a hail mary, but 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 something. Yeah, no, I mean I think that like I said, I was telling you, I think that they just were trying to get out of bounds and kick a field goal, and then Stephen Diggs looked up and there was nothing in front of him except for the end zone, and so he just kept on running, and and that was that. But but yeah, that was that was pretty exciting and. You know, Twitter will be. Tw- tw- Twitter was lit. Twitter's always lit when things like that happen. So, for sure. Well, uh, I think we actually first on our plate today is something that Twitter was all lit about last Sunday. Actually, yes. so without further ado, let's talk about the Globes. So let's do it. Yeah. So Scott, last Sunday night was the 75th Golden Globe Awards held at the Beverly Hills Hilton in Beverly Hills, California, put on yeah. by the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. I know it was incredibly disappointing to not have a mix-up of epic proportions like the La La Land Moonlight debacle at last year's Oscars. So yeah, why don't... Yeah, uh, I guess there was, there was certainly a, the fair share of drama on the evening, I would say. Um, That's true. But, but, but yeah, I, I imagine that those, the, the people who checked the envelopes probably quadruple and, and quintuple checked them <laughs> at this uh, at this awards just just to make sure that um, there was no error like that one for sure so why don't we actually get started with what has to be considered the biggest movie winner of the evening three billboards outside ebbing missouri now this isn't a movie that i've seen yet i hopefully will see it soon ish um but why don't you tell a little bit about your perspective on it and as well as its success here at the golden globes yeah well i was you know i was really interested to watch the golden globes this year um because a lot of years you come into it and you kind of know what the top movies are going to be. Um, and, you know, I wasn't hugely surprised to see Lady Bird win in the comedy or musical category. I kind of thought that that would be the big winner there. But I really honestly had no idea what was going to um, win in the, in the drama category because, of course, you had, you know, a really oscar baity movie like The Post, which is directed by Steven Spielberg, stars Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep. But, you know, Seth Meyers even made the joke at the beginning of the show where he had someone come out carrying all the awards after he talked about the post, and he said, "No, no, not not until later." Um, so I thought that was a pretty pretty funny joke. Um, but then you know you had other films like uh, The Shape of Water, which you know not really a very mainstream film, but it's one that a lot of people have been talking about. 
Um, but I have to say, I didn't really see three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri being the winner of this award. Um, although, as the show went on and it, it racked up some other awards, I started to wonder if maybe it might take home the big award. But, um, you know, one of the reasons I, I mean, a few of the reasons I had doubts about this movie um, taking home a big prize, for one, it's been very divisive. Um, and, you know, if you look at the Rotten Tomatoes score, you might not see something like that because it's got a really high Rotten Tomatoes score. Um, but, like, I have heard a lot of, there, there's been a lot of controversy um, about some of the some of the themes in this movie and some, some of the way the ways that certain characters are presented. There's even some um, who have accused um, Martin McDonough, who's the filmmaker, of uh, some, some, some sketchy sort of um, race relations, uh, th- things with race that happen in the movie, um, it, it, especially involving one particular character, and I, I won't get into it too much for um, fear of spoilers, but you can certainly look on the internet. Um, there's certainly plenty of stuff out there about it. So I, I you know, I kind of wondered if, um, you know, the negative buzz that was surrounding this film, in some circles at least, would prevent, um, you know, the Hollywood Foreign Press from from choosing this as their best drama, which is considered, you know, the top award of the evening. Um, but also. You know, this isn't really a very mainstream film, I wouldn't say. I mean, Martin McDonough, he, he has made some sort of indie hits before um, with his movies In Bruges and Seven Psychopaths, which are both very well-reviewed, but also, again, not mainstream films. And while the, I would say that this is probably his most mainstream film to date, um, you know, he has a very specific style in his films. Um, like, he, his screenplays are known for being very uh, vulgar and very kind of crude um, with their humor and, and, and very, just very dark humor in general in all three of these films. Um, so, you know, I didn't know how people within the Hollywood Foreign Press uh, would respond. Uh, you know, and I, another thing is I, I don't really know about the demographics of the people in the Hollywood Foreign Press because, you know, with the Oscars, you, you, you get everyone talking every year about how it's just a bunch of old white people. Um, but with, with the Hollywood Foreign Press, you know, it's hard to say. Um, it, I, there's not really a lot out there, I don't think, about what the makeup of the, the Hollywood Foreign Press is. So, you know, you can't really predict how they're going to respond to a film like this. Um, but, you know, you, you always kind of expect in these award shows that they're going to play it safe and go with the movie like like the poster. Even I think The Shape of Water would, would have been a safer choice um, than Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. But honestly, I'm thrilled to see this movie um, – win uh, because I thought it had the best acting ensemble of the year um, it was in my top five movies of the year uh, I, I really responded to this movie and I do think while it does have a lot of McDonough's trademarks with the dark humor and all of that um, it is also it's more profound than any of his other movies and it also strikes a very hopeful note at the end it's ultimately I mean there are a lot of interpretations of it out there but I think it's ultimately a, a redemption story which I think is something that all audiences can connect with and that's maybe one of the th- one of the reasons why the Hollywood Foreign Press did connect with it and chose it as the best movie of the year but I'm really interested to see what this what kind of buzz this generates going into Oscar season because I've already heard people talking about how this is now the front runner for best picture at the Oscars so you know very will be very interesting to see I think yeah I totally agree with that um like I said I haven't seen the movie so I can't speak to it's necessarily it, it, it the actual content of it and how that will fare but um, I don't think that this movie, like you said, going into the Golden Globes, would have many people would have thought would win many awards, let alone four, because we haven't talked about that. But it won uh, best best motion picture drama, as we talked right. about, but also best actress in a motion picture drama, best screenplay, and best supporting actor in a mo- 
actor in a motion picture. I was uh, definitely least surprised uh, of all of those to see Frances McDormand win um, for Best Actress. I really did think that she would take that award home and that maybe that would be sort of the one win that three billboards would be able to take home, sort of like how, um, you know, um, the Florida Project, which is my top movie of the year, kind of got its one nomination for Willem Dafoe's supporting performance, didn't actually end up getting nominated in any of the other categories, but I kind of thought maybe along the same lines, they would shout out three billboards by giving Francis McDormand the award, but then kind of leaving it out in the other awards. But Francis McDormand's performance is really amazing in this movie, and it's just, it's so arresting. And, I mean, a lot of people are saying it's her best role since Fargo, and I haven't seen, you know, all of her movies since then, but I find it hard to disagree. It's just a performance that really grabs you, whether or not you really respond to the movie or not. I think that it's... Um, it's one that has really grabbed a lot of people, so I was not surprised to see Francis McDormand um, take home that award. But yeah, I mean, like I said, the other awards were, were kind of surprising, but, uh, you know, to look at it in a broader context, I think even going back to the Oscars last year, we're kind of seeing the voters branch out a little bit more um, with their tastes. You know, you would have expected something like the Post, like I was talking about, to clean up, but I think you know, maybe the negative response year after year in the past to, you know, the Academy and Hollywood Ford Press just picking the same boring, safe movies. Not that they're bad movies by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, you can kind of kind of predict. Maybe some of that negative um, negative buzz has, has led, um, you know, people within the Academy and the Hollywood Ford Press to look closer at a movie like Three Boards, Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Or, like I said, if you go back to last year's Oscars, the fact that Moonlight was able to beat out La La Land when La La Land was most certainly the more Oscar Beatty of the two movies, the more mainstream film to be sure. I think the fact that uh, Moonlight, um, you know, beat it out um, speaks to perhaps a more progressive trend in the way that these um, these groups of people who, who evaluate these awards are, are looking at um, looking at the films nowadays. Yeah, I, I think I think that's totally fair, and, and I think to maybe to to move on to a more what you might call Oscar baby movie. I think another yeah. big winner on the evening. You mentioned it already, but Lady Bird for Sharshi Ronan's Best Actress, um, and also you know Best Best Motion Picture um, Musical Comedy. Yeah, um, you know, I mean, we're both huge fans of this film. Yep. Um, yeah, for me, yeah. I know, I know, I know. When we talked, I had it as number three. Um, but I, I think that now that I've thought more about that number, because I didn't really think about the numbering before I went in, I think that Lady Bird probably is my, my favorite motion picture of last year. Yeah, I think it is my number one. Um, granted, I, I, there are a few I haven't seen. We've talked about that before. But sure. it was, you know, I wasn't super confident going in that Sharshi Ronan was going to win uh, Best Actress in a Motion Picture Musical or Comedy, especially up against uh, Margot Robbie... Um, or Judy Dench or Emma Stone. She had some really some people who who are historically very strong performers um, yeah, at absolutely. award shows. Best actress field is an absolute bloodbath this year between um, you know between Saoirse Ronan and between Margot Robbie and between Frances McDormand yeah. and I mean another person and Jessica Chastain. Chastain yep. Yeah, in Molly's Game. Which Meryl Streep in the night, Post. So. Uh, I it's saw really anybody's. It's really anybody's uh, anybody's game at this point. But honestly, I think it may come down to. Saoirse Ronan against uh, Francis McDormand, and you know Francis McDormand has won an Oscar before, so it'll be interesting to see whether they go with sort of the up-and-coming talent in Ronan or the old heavy in McDormand. But they're both great choices, and I mean Margot Robbie, I thought was sensational, also in I Tonya. So that I think that would be a great choice as well. Yeah, 
And then, and then Lady, Lady Bird as a whole, I'm, I'm just going through the actually the whole the list of the other movies nominated in the category right now with The Disaster Artist, um, Get Out, which should be in this category, which we talked about before, but um, <laughs> The Greatest Showman and I, Tanya. Like, like Lady Bird is, is a completely different kind of movie than the rest of those movies, even in the musical or comedy category. And I yeah. think that, it, I've said this before, but that it really resonates, like its message, um, its humor, its relationship-driven narrative is something that does such a good job. And I know with me, like, I'm not someone who's ever been to California. Uh, I'm not a white woman. But, like, still, like, the the themes in it resonated so well with me. And I can't imagine what it would what it would resonate with someone who felt more connected with Lady Bird, with that mother-daughter dynamic that is explored throughout the whole movie. I think that that's yeah. something that it does such a good job doing and is a well-deserved winner of the musical or comedy award here. Yeah, I think so, and I think that's an interesting point. You know, you named off those nominees there, Lady Bird, Disaster Artist, I, Tanya, um, Get Out. Really, of those nominees, the only one that you can really say is a comedy or musical straight up is probably The Disaster Artist. Yeah. Um, but the Greatest Showman's also nominated, which is definitely a musical. Yes, that's definitely a musical. But, um, but I think that that's interesting, and I'm wonder. I'm, I'm just going to be interested to see how Oscar voters look at that because you know Oscar voters are very hesitant to give uh, the Best Picture prize to a comedy. I, I mean, I can't tell you the last time when it happened when when something that won the Best Comedy or Musical at the Golden Globes ended up taking Best Picture home. But honestly, if you look at Lady Bird, while it's a very funny film, I mean, this movie is. I mean, it, it, it's just as serious as something like three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, which yep. honestly, it could have been in the comedy category as well, because it, it has... It's it a has black comedy, right? So, well. isn't, isn't it technically like, isn't it genre like a black comedy? Three billboards? Yeah, I mean, that, yeah. That, I mean, that's kind of how all, all Martin McDonough's films are, and I mean, you know, I can certainly see why they ended up going with it as a drama, but based on the criteria of what constitutes a comedy or musical, I mean, if Get Out is a comedy, then certainly three <laughs> billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri could have been a comedy, but, you know, like I said, I'm going to be interested to see if Lady Bird is able to bring home Best Picture just because, you know, it has been labeled as a comedy. Whether or not it actually is um, is, an, is another debate. I, I mean, you know, I think it's more a comedy drama. Um, yep. But, you know, we, we, we will see, I guess, at, at the Academy Awards, but that's going to be something to look out for, I think. For sure. And, and I think, and, and, going in, and going into the Academy Awards, it doesn't really matter whether it's, you know that whole designation of genre kind of falls out when you go into the Oscars and, and people forget about that. Yeah, sure. I just mean historically, yep. like I said, that comedies haven't, haven't really done, done mm-hmm. well. Um, I, I mean, like, like I said, a movie that has won the Golden Globe for Best Comedy or Musical, I, I mean, I can't think of the last time when that movie went on to win Best Picture. And maybe there is one recently and I'm just not thinking of it. But um, I think, you know, the correlation there is... While the, while the distinctions do go away at the Oscars, I think there is something to be said for that correlation there. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going off the top of my head of Oscar winners recently. I think like The Pianist might be the only possibility in the last few years. I'm not even but sure. But even that wasn't really... Uh, well, that, that didn't win Best Picture. I don't oh, it think. didn't? Oh, uh, darn, okay. No, that, that won Best Actor. But even that wasn't really a musical, I would say. Um, yeah, that's fair. Well, are you thinking of The Artist, maybe? Well, I was thinking also possibly The Artist, but I thought The Pianist won, but it didn't. Okay. But yeah, I think The Artist might be the last movie from the comedy or musical category to, to yeah. win best picture that's actually a good point um but even that movie think about that movie that had the added, added element of it being a silent was it in black and white or was it in color i don't think i ever saw it i think it was in black and white but yeah so a silent black and white movie which obviously is not your traditional comedy or musical so you would expect the you know 
old white demographic of the Academy to respond better to a comedy if it's a silent black and white movie. So even that kind of is, is telling, I think. Yeah, just fact check us on that. It is a black and white silent film. Okay, yeah. Yep. Yeah, so going to the Oscars, we'll see how a lot of these movies translate over into the Academy Awards. Um, but let's just go on ahead. And I know this isn't in the movie category, but another big winner on the night has to say Big Little Lies um, cleaned up in the TV department. I'm actually watching it right now. I'll talk a little bit more later when we get into what we've been watching. But um, for some reason, I did not realize how, like, what this TV show was. I don't know if you've seen it or not. But, I have seen it. Yeah, okay. So I'm, I'm seeing it right now. I'm like halfway through it, and we'll talk about it later. But it really cleaned up. Um, and, the and I mean, the number of nominations, it got, I think it got six nominations and won four awards. But yeah. the reason why I didn't win more awards, or the reason I had more nominations than awards, is because they had multiple people nominated in the same category. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, I, I'm really, I'm not surprised to see it win, just because it was very good. I mean, I, I, thought, it, I thought it was a very, very compelling um adaptation but you know hbo is is killing it right now between game of thrones and and all their other pro i mean last week tonight with john oliver cleaned up at the emmys um so hbo is killing it and on top of that i mean the names in this thing are massive i mean reese witherspoon nicole kidman laura dern shailene woodley i mean amazing cast like you know i think it speaks to how far tv has come that these actresses like academy award winners are you know, doing something on TV, doing an adaptation of a of a best-selling novel. Um, so, you know, I, I, it wasn't a huge surprise to me, but I, it was great to see it win, especially on a night when so much centered on um, women and their role in Hollywood, um, you know, to see these huge actresses and huge powerful female figures in Hollywood, um, you know, tr- come out on top um, what was pretty great. Yeah, I think, um, like I said, I, as I've been watching it, it's it's in, it's incredibly compelling so far, and yeah. I just find it. I, I think it's exactly like what you said that HBO's ability to dominate and really produce compelling, really well done work is convincing these actresses and actors to do these miniseries that they put on. Now I know that there's like some confusion about whether it's actually a miniseries now that apparently there might be doing a season two, but. Uh-huh. I remember, like, I think last year, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, but The Night Of was an incredibly compelling miniseries right, by the yeah. HBO. I don't know how it did at award shows, but uh, I really enjoyed that. And then, like you said, Game of Thrones, Westworld is another recent one. I mean, The yeah. Wire, historically. It's incredible and, and, shows. You know, you, you bring up the issue of the categorization. I think it's just, I, I, it's interesting to me to know whether or not, you know, these are categorized by the Hollywood Foreign Press or whether you know the the people you know who are entering the campaign for these shows or movies actually you know campaign for it in a specific category because i think that that's how things work at the oscars i remember i guess last year with viola davis um who took home the supporting actor prize for fences uh, i remember reading a lot of articles about the fact that even though she is arguably the main character i mean she, she is arguably a lead actress role um, they were campaigning for her in the supporting actress role uh, category because it was a much easier category for her to win. So I wonder if Big Little Lies, um, you know, I, I don't know if that, that it's the same procedure at the Golden Globes, but if they looked at the field for drama, you know, and looked at Game of Thrones or The Crown or The Handmaid's Tale, which has cleaned up at everything this year, um, and said, no, maybe we'll be better off in the miniseries with all this other stuff that people haven't really watched. 
Yeah, I'm just lo- I'm looking right now at the TV categories, and the other things are Feud, Betty and Betty and Joan, Joan. I mean, yeah, and I, I, Fargo. I've not heard of that except for award shows. Yeah, I haven't either. Um, so, like, the, well, Twin Peaks is in is in the right. act is in the miniseries category. That was never gonna win. It's too weird. Yeah. So you're right. I mean, it cleaned up, but if you throw it in the television series category, then you're going up against Handmaid's Tale, like you said, uh, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Um, Sure. Which did very well. And then Game of Thrones, Stranger Things, all, all sorts of stuff like that. Yes, like and the crown. I, mentioned, yeah. I mentioned the fact about Big Little Eyes winning on a big night for women. You look at the other two uh, shows which won, uh, The Handmaid's Tale, also about female characters, and was the Mar- did The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel win for Best Comedy? or It did. It beat out Master of None. and, and Yeah. Well, yeah. there you go. Another, yep. another uh, with a female-central character. So. Yep. Absolutely, totally agree. They followed suit with the theme of the night, which is which is great. Yeah. Well, now that we've uh, given TV it, its uh, you know appropriate couple minutes, we'll move back sure. into, into the big winners. We don't have to talk about this one too long, but I did want to make note of it because it has gotten a lot of hype, and you've mentioned it earlier. But The Shape of Water, Guillermo del Toro winning for Best Director, as well as... What was its other award that it won? Um, was it Best Score, maybe? For yeah, Al- Alexander Despot. Spot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, Best, best Original Scores. I, I think it... You know, obviously, it would have liked to have won more, especially with Best Actress, probably. But um, what did you think? Have you seen Shape of Water? I have not seen this film, um, but you know, I was uh, I, I, on Twitter and just reading a lot of things. Um, a lot of people were very excited to see Guillermo del Toro win, and I think it, you know, not just because they enjoy The Shape of Water, but just for the breadth of his work. I mean, if you go back to something like Pan's Labyrinth, which is almost a decade old now, is kind of the movie that he made his name on. Um, He's been making very imaginative, you know, sort of fantastical, um, it's just just very creative movies for um, over a decade now. So I think a lot of people were very excited to see a guy like Guillermo del Toro, um, you know, honored for, not just for, um, the Shape of Water, but for his whole whole career of work, um, which has been very very unique and very distinctive in Hollywood. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I actually haven't, I can't admit to it, I haven't ever seen a Guillermo del Toro film, um, but knowing the kind of work that he does and being familiar with him actually from the video game space where he actually partners with a pretty, a, a guy who, who's known as being very similar to him in the video game space in terms of creativity and kind of being out there with imaginative ideas. I was really happy to see someone like him win for Best Director, especially because, you know, and this is, I think this is a recurring theme throughout the night, but, and we'll, we might get to this later when we talk about Oprah Winfrey, but when you see someone like Guillermo del Toro win an, win an award, whether that be a Golden Globe or an Oscar, um, inspiring people like Guillermo del Toro, I think, can only benefit um, you know, the movie space. And I don't know if you'd agree with me on that, but I, I think that he really pushes a kind of filmmaking that sometimes there is a drought of each year in Hollywood. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's why a lot of people were excited to see him win. And one other note on the um, Best Director category, um, Natalie Portman, you probably saw this, had one of the better zingers of the night. Yep, yep, um, yep. Right after, uh, what, was it right after Oprah's speech, maybe? I, um, I believe that it was, and I have to double-check, but I'm pretty sure that it was. Well, yeah, um, so right after this really inspiring speech about the role of women and everything, and she and Ron Howard come out to announce this award, and she just goes, and here are the all-male nominees. For Best um, Director, yeah. It's, which it was so was good, brutal. 
was a good zinger, and I think my mom, who I was watching it with, said, well, were there even any female directors, you know, who were in contention? And yeah, thinking, absolutely. And of course, Greta Gerwig. Um, yeah, Greta Gerwig. And then I, I think that this may be a little bit more of a long shot. You might disagree with me, but... Um, the director of Wonder Woman, um, uh, Patty ooh, yeah, Patty Jenkins. I think she she has been talked about as someone who is worthy of a nominee for best director. Yeah, I mean, I could have seen them putting that in like this musical or comedy category just because it's they don't know what to do with it. But um, but I, I, although I guess the best director category goes for all motion. Yep, pictures. it does. It goes all together, which is why it was so outrageous that Greta, I, in my opinion, that Greta Gerwig didn't get a best but director. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. I really think Greta Gerwig should, probably should have been nominated over... There was someone in there that I was really surprised to Ridley see. Scott. Um, Ridley Scott. Yes, that's there. exactly yeah. who it was. And I think maybe they, they they gave Ridley Scott a shout-out because of what he was able to do with cutting Kevin Spacey out of that film yep. um, and getting Christopher Plummer in all in a three-month's time. So, yeah, that was definitely an impressive achievement. But in terms of the actual filmmaking, um, I haven't seen all the money in the world. I definitely think Greta Gerwig um, deserved to get her, her moment in the sun, um, even if it was just a nomination, um, for, for what she was able to do with Lady Bird and the people she was able to connect with. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, I'm not going to beat a dead horse over this because you know that it's my favorite film of last year and sure. you know how I feel about Greta Gerwig. But how about we move on to big losers um, besides, you know, shitty men at the Oscars. Um, so bi- big losers. the New Orleans Saints, you mean? Yeah, and that too, yeah. And the New Orleans Saints. <laughs> the, the biggest losers, actually someone who came, who was nominated in this category for Best Director, uh, I think the biggest loser has to be Dunkirk. Don't you think? Yeah, um... You know, I think Dunkirk maybe was the the um, suffered the the fate of a, a movie with an early release date. I, you can almost say the same for Get Out too, because even though it is a movie that everyone has been talking about the entire year since it came out, it came out really early in the year and then didn't end up winning anything. But um, Dunkirk, I think. It, uh, so many people reacted positively to it, and this is something I feel like that happens every year. There's a movie that comes out halfway through the year, even three quarters of the year, and everyone says, "Oh, this is an amazing movie!" Immediately, and then as time goes on, as the weeks and months go on, people are like, start looking at it and trying to find things to poke holes at. And I definitely think that there are things in Dunkirk which don't work as well as in some of these other movies. Um, but you know, I, I think. That, like I said, I think it's early release date hurt it because I think people started talking about the fact that, well, a lot of people thought it was kind of boring and a lot of people thought that it wasn't really great with the whole storytelling aspect, um, which personally, my, my feeling on that whole issue is I'm not going to get too much into the criticism of the movie, but I think that he wasn't really going for the whole storytelling. I think it was more about just immersing you in the experience of this battle and, and putting you in the shoes of these, these individual characters who were involved in different ways in the battle. Um, but you know, I think a lot of people um, came to see Dunkirk as more a more impressive technical um, film than um, as a all-around great film like they did when it immediately came out. So I think that was one of the reasons Dunkirk maybe was hurt. Yeah, I, I agree. To, I agree to some extent. I think that the early release date definitely didn't do it any favors. I don't like. I'd like to know when the last time that a, a, a midsummer release won, like cleaned up at an award show. I could be sure, really yeah. wrong. Uh, by saying that, and someone, I'm sure someone out there might correct me, but um, I think Dunkirk, like you said, suffered from that. I think I'm I'm of the camp where I actually think that the narrative and the perspective that it takes in terms of how it how it relates time in the movie is very impressive. Something that I can't think can be understated because I think it does such a good job with that. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like I also haven't really thought about that movie very much 
since it was since it was released. Now, granted, it's been a longer period of time since I've seen some of the other movies, but I still think about The Big Sick a lot. It's something that I really enjoyed this year. Um, I haven't stopped thinking about Lady Bird since watching it. Like, I want to watch it again. I, I just want to keep watching it. It was so good. Sure. Um, so I think that, like, it was a good movie that deserves to be nominated for rewards, but I, I have a hard time saying that, like, this is a movie that should be picked over other films. And that might be because it was released in the middle of the summer, but I think that it also kind of was a casualty of Chris Nolan trying to make this film kind of like Leonardo DiCaprio did with The Revenant of like just trying to win an Oscar finally um, yeah I think I think that's fair enough I think I definitely think the argument about it and not having staying power is fair enough um, because I, it hasn't stayed with me that much either but you know also I think you have to chalk like I was saying you have to chalk some of that up to the nature of the film um, I think it's more about uh, an immersive like experience that draws you in in the moment and mm-hmm. maybe you don't think about it afterwards but it's more about the totality of the experience of the movie um, but also i think that to some extent that's a cop-out from a from a directorial standpoint because I, I also don't think christopher nolan can just say well look this is supposed to be immersive and you know the people in the battle would not have been able to follow what was going on or where i don't think he can just get away with that because it is supposed to be yeah. an immersive experience i think that there still needs to be some storytelling done but again i don't i didn't have huge criticism for this film in that area yep agree well moving on to the other big loser than i and this actually i mean arguably you could say this is actually a bigger loser than dunkirk um with six nominations but no awards the post yeah i know yeah, that... and... go ahead yeah and you know that like i, I kind of talked about this already I, I wonder if it's just hollywood trying to stay woke and pick movies like you know like um three billboards outside ebbing missouri or, or ladybird and i don't say stay woke to be dismissive of what they try to do because i honestly think i haven't seen the post but i have a feeling i would in, in, i would not enjoy it as much as um Lady Bird or Three Billboards, but um, but yeah, I think that, that maybe that was what hurt um, the the post. I mean, you know, I pointed out the joke that Seth Meyers made, like you know, people kind of saw this movie as almost what you were just talking about with Dunkirk, with oh, here we go, another Oscar Brady movie. It's a true story, and it's Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep and blah blah blah. Uh, so I, you know, I think. You know, a lot of people maybe didn't even see the film and, and just kind of wrote it off as being a, a safe Oscar Beatty movie. And um, I think, you know, the the culture now we're seeing is becoming more alert to things like Oscar Beatty movies as more than, more so than they would have been in the past. So maybe that was what what cost the post. Yeah. No. So I, I actually saw the post yesterday, so I have a little sure. bit more perspective on this one. But you know, I'm, I'm going through all the nominations that I got right now and. You know, obviously, best actor and best actress, uh, Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep. It's hard to ever complain about anything that they do, and they they put in good turns in this movie as well. But I can't like neither of their performances were better than than uh, Gary Oldman in The Darkest Hour or Frances McDormand. I'm sure. And yeah, and and I think you know, there's probably some sort of stigma seeing. I mean, because there, there's always the joke about the fact that Meryl Streep gets nominated for everything, and I mean, Tom Hanks has two Oscars and tons of other awards, so I think there's a little bit of a stigma maybe to saying, oh, we're going to give this acting award to Tom Hanks or Meryl Streep, when there are so many great actors like Saoirse Ronan or like Margot Robbie uh, out there who have never never won a, a big-time award like this, um, and their performances are just on the same level, if not better, than Meryl Streep's, like you said. Yeah, and then, you know, it, it, for me, it was actually, it was a movie, and we'll talk about this later when we actually review the movie, but 
but it was a movie that really suffered from a very slow first 45 or 50 minutes to the yeah. point where like I didn't care about anything that was happening in the movie for the first half of it. Now it turned okay. it around completely in the second half and became yeah. a very good film. Um, but I have to say like of, of looking at its nominations, the thing that for me would be the most likely to win would be John Williams' score for it. Um, that's just sure. my personal perspective, and I haven't seen Shape of Water, so I haven't seen that. I haven't heard that score, um, but the score is fantastic. Um, but other than that, like it was a solid entry. Again, a, a movie that is probably worthy of a lot of nominations, but I'm not quite sure if it's good enough to get many awards. Yeah, I, you mentioned the score, and just a quick point: like when I was watching the score category on the Golden Globes, I think I said to my mom or dad or whoever I was with that. Like we need more, uh, we need more composers working in Hollywood because the five people who got nominated are like the same five composers who get nominated like every year. Yeah. It's like John Williams and Alexander Despot and Carter Burwell who did Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, and then there are two more names. Who, Hans, uh, it's I Hans Zimmer and in, in, for Dunkirk. Yeah, and Johnny like, Greenwood for Phantom Thread. Yeah, okay. Johnny Greenwood's a bit of a different name um, because he's he's actually the guitarist in the band Radiohead. But mm-hmm. even he has had some experience, like because he scores most of Paul Thomas Anderson's movies. Now I know he scored There Will Be Blood, and I think he did The Master as well. So it's kind of you know just like come on guys, let's let's have a little more creativity with the with the composers. But I mean, I guess you can't argue with with their craft at this point. Yeah, and I'm sure Natalie Portman would like to point out that they're all all male nominations <laughs> there too. That's true. That's true. Yeah. All right, so moving kind of past the moving past the awards themselves, I do want to talk about two more things. Um, first, Seth Meyers as a host, we'll get that one out of the way. What did you think of his uh, opening monologue? Yeah, I think you could basically boil the whole thing down to the opening monologue because, like I, like I, uh, in, in past years with all these award shows, what always happens, it seems to me, is that the host just disappears after the opening monologue, and I mean. He showed up a couple more times and made a couple more throwaway jokes, but really it's all about the opening monologue nowadays. And I thought it was good. I mean, Seth Meyers is a very likable, um, very, I mean, I guess you could say he's a safe choice for host, but I think he's likable. I've always found it funny, even going back to his SNL days. And I thought, see, he has some great lines in there. Um, you know, especially, he, he, I thought he did a great job handling the whole issue of the fact that he is a, he's a white male hosting this show in a a year when, I mean, on on a night when women were spotlighted so heavily and in a year when, you know, a lot of white males and males in general were, um, you know, accused of sexual assault in Hollywood. And that was a, that was a big topic. So I thought, um, he, he handled that well, um, just sort of sort of skirting around, uh, you, you know, because I think some people could have viewed him a little dismissively, the fact that he was he was the one hosting the show and, and maybe not a female. Um, but yeah, t- totally I, I agree. That he, I thought that he, uh, he handled that really well. And, and, you know, I thought he had some good, um, good one-liners in there. I'm trying to remember. I can't remember all of them off the top of my head. You know, I, I, I already mentioned the joke about the post, which I think maybe was the one that stuck out to me the most just because it, it was it was very uh, very true, I thought, and it made me laugh. But I know that he, he there were several several other moments where, uh, that where, where uh, you know, I, 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 got a, I got a laugh out of what he was saying. Yeah, he, um, ma- he managed to get a lot of jokes in there about Harvey Weinstein. I mean, I knew he was going to make yeah. jokes about him, but there was, like, really, really good. And then, there, oh, the one about Kevin Spacey, the recurring joke about, like, oh, you thought I was mean, and then he might make another yeah, joke about it. That was, that was good, too. Uh, yeah, and I, I remember the one that, I think it was one of the first ones he said, where it was, like, the, the first time in a while where men are happy to hear their name said out loud in a public space. Yeah, that, that one was great. That was, that was really good. That yeah. Was, that's the one that I think that was one of his first ones, and that's the one that resonated most with me because, like you said, it summed up the entire night, the entire 
like last three or four months in Hollywood, um, and something that I hope continues um, continues to be uncovered, continues to be uprooted throughout Hollywood um, as as it really tries to to maybe uh, turn a new leaf this year. Yeah, hopefully so. Hopefully so. Although you know, there've already been other names coming out. Like I, you probably saw today, one of one of our favorites, um, Aziz Ansari, has been accused by. Um, se- at least one woman I know of, of sexual assault. So um, wow, I didn't actually, actually I actually didn't see that today. That's cr- I didn't even hear that. Wow. Yeah, um, I'll have to look and it, have to look at that after this. That's really disturbing. If true, especially the way that he, uh, Aziz, you know, presents himself in in Hollywood culture and, and yep. you know, in yeah. relationships with the with the opposite <laughs> sex. But that's another topic for another show. But hopefully, like you said, we are. The fact that all these people are getting exposed is uh, sort of the end of end of a very sad era um, and the beginning of a new dawn, as I believe Oprah said in her speech. Which is a perfect segue to talking about Oprah, her speech. But before we talk talking about Oprah, actually, before we start talking about Oprah, I do want to say like one of the most memorable moments of the entire show is that her husband sat in like the center front table with his mouth like agape for half of the show. And he's I, a, yeah, he's actually her boyfriend. They've never married before. Oh, okay, um, interesting. Yeah, but they've been together for like 30 years or something. A lot of people think that she's actually a lesbian, um, but because of her relationship with Gail, her friend who's also there, um, huh. but she's been with, with uh, this guy Stedman, I believe is his name, uh, for, for like 30 years. Well, he but, looked yeah, shook not, all night. He looked shook by like yeah. a lot of the awards, so... Good on him for having that kind of life where he continues to be wowed by the things that happen around him. Uh, yeah. But yeah, Oprah Winfrey's speech, um, really the climax of the entire evening, it has to be said. Yeah, and I have to say, um, you know, I think it would have been really easy for Oprah to come out there and phone it in. Um, because I think, you know, it's Oprah. Like, like you know, after last year's show, Mer- Meryl Streep was such a controversial figure um and i have mixed feelings about you know what she used her the platform that she she used her speech um to to express and so um, but there was just a lot of controversy that went on in in the weeks and months after that so i said when i saw that oprah was going to be receiving this award i was like that is the perfect choice because no one can have any problems with oprah like it's oprah um so like i said i think it would have been easy for her to phone it in because everyone would have loved her no matter what she did but she certainly did not phone it in, um, and she wrote a very, um, very impassioned um, and very, very inspirational speech. And like you know, I talked about with Meryl Streep. I think what Oprah was able to do better is uh, she didn't really make it a political issue. She made it a this is about being a good human being and yep. just sort of related, Women's related rights. it to yep. universal themes that everyone could relate to, and and didn't sort of alienate a, a whole group of people based on political affiliation. Yeah, I totally agree. I remember there are multiple points in her speech where my spine was tingling. I think the their time is the time is up, uh, where she repeated that several times, um, and then like you said, a new days on the horizon, which was near the end of the speech, I believe, was She's just also just like an incredible like public speaker. Like, I mean, I've never seen someone so comfortable on the stage, right? Like like that. And I mean, I guess she was reading off a teleprompter, but it certainly didn't seem like it. And the way that she uh, she you know, the cadences in her voice and yep. he, he changed her volume and all this stuff. Like, you know, as a mock trial, um, guru, it was, it was pretty, uh, impressive to watch. I, I, I keep, kept making me think about how, how beastly of an attorney that, um, Oprah possibly could have been if she had chosen that career path. But. Yeah, it's truly, it's truly astounding. Um, 
but I think that we've given that it's due. I think that she, her speech, like she talked about in her speech, will continue to set an example for people, for really young people who, who will look to women, look to black women, um, to inspire them throughout the rest of their lives. And I think that in the years to come, the, uh, the impact that this speech and then also the Time's Up movement will have um, will only will only grow larger and larger in my in in my opinion. And yeah, I think, absolutely. Yeah. I, I agree. I, I certainly hope that that is the case. Yeah, and, and so I think that is a hopeful note to move past the Golden Globes on. Hopefully, we will have a similar experience with the Oscars because I, I don't know about you, but on the whole, we haven't really talked about it in this kind of macro perspective. But I really, really enjoyed watching the Golden Globes this year. Yeah, well, you know, as someone, I, I watch these award shows every year. I, I, I'm a big award show fan. Um, I'm not expecting the same out of the Oscars. Um, yeah, just that's because, true. Just uh, because it's such a long evening. And, I mean, the Golden Gloves is long, too, but all the all the awards are at least interesting. At least, uh, you know, at the Oscars, you get the stuff like short-form documentary and, and short forms and all this. Because uh, they, cause they literally present every award at the award ceremony. Right, where a lot of, um, a lot of the other award shows, like the Emmys, will, will actually present a lot of the issues awards off camera right and the grammy says the same thing but yep. you know i'm not expecting perhaps the oscars especially too because it's not so much about the uh political and like it, it's never been you know like about political and social issues in the same way that the golden globes has at least in the last few years it's more just about the theater and the pageantry of of this being the the biggest night in Hollywood. So it's a very different kind of experience. I don't think it would probably be as an enjoyable as a viewing experience. Um, but, you know, I, I, I love to watch them every year. Um, so, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. All right, so let's take a short break, and we'll be right back with 10 movie questions and what we've been watching. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to part two of today's Some Like It, Scott. We're going to be doing something a little unique today because we wanted all of you to learn a little bit about our movie history. And to get at that, Scott, you have come up with 10 questions for us to answer and discuss today. Yeah, so like you said, um, you know, since this is our first episode uh, of this, this podcasting, obviously a lot of people who are listening to this are going to be people who know us probably, but hopefully we're going to attract some new listeners Um as well, people people who don't know us, people who just want to enjoy the, the film chat that we have. Um, but so you know, to sort of introduce um, ourselves to, to everyone, at, at least on the subject of movies, which is the subject of this podcast, of course, um, I, I came up with a little uh, interview, and uh, I should say this is, this is something that I've uh, done in the past. Um, I used to have a, a radio program in college um, called Scott Heard Around the World. Shout out, Scott Heard Around the World. Um, and uh, whenever I, I had a a guest on, I would devise this uh, little interview of 15 questions, um, and those weren't just movie-centered, they were about all sorts of subjects, but when we were talking about doing the show, uh, I thought maybe I'll, I'll make a, a movie-themed one, um, since, since that is the topic of the podcast, and it, it'd just be a great way for you to, um, to, to introduce ourselves to, to the listeners, and also to, uh, you know, to, to show y'all what some of our some of our likes and dislikes are um, in, the, in the world of, of film. Um, so this is going to have 10 questions, um, and I'll just, just get right into it. We, we've both um, already answered these 
pre-show, so um, I'll start by asking you the first question, Scott. Uh, what actor would play you in a movie about your life? Yeah, I, I mean, in terms of authenticity about who's going to be playing me, uh, it's probably not the right answer. But I think, yeah. I think for me, I've always thought of Leonardo DiCaprio being my favorite actor, and so I, I would love Leonardo DiCaprio to, to play me. In the movie yeah, I think about you got what was kind of the difficult part of this question is that, <laughs> t- to some extent, there's an aspirational element to this question because, you know, we can sit here and try and think about who's going to authentically play us, but in the end, the person we pick is probably going to be the person more that we want to play us than, um, ne- than maybe necessarily the person who would do the best job at playing us. Uh, the person who I went with is Sam Rockwell. Um, not because necessarily he's my favorite actor, uh, but I do always enjoy watching him. Um, when he's in a movie, especially in supporting roles, as in Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. I mean, you guys look identical, so I don't, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, but, um, I, you know, some his, his personality uh, and just the characters he plays, especially in movies like Laggies and The Way, Way Back. Um, not Iron Man know, 2? Come on. Do what? Not Iron Man 2? You don't like him in Iron Man 2? <laughs> not Iron Man 2. But, um, you know, they're, they're very colorful color characters. I like to think of uh, that I at least bear some similarities uh, to those characters. So Sam Rockwell's a person uh, that I would choose for that. Um, second question, um, following directly from that first question, um, who would direct that movie about your life? Ooh, for me, yeah. So again, this is kind of end up just being like my favorite director in this point in time. Sure. Um, but I think maybe Dennis Villanueva. I think he's one of my favorite directors right now. I'll pretty much watch anything. So you're picturing your life as a thriller then, maybe with a few sci-fi elements thrown in? Yeah, you know, I'm basically just picturing Blade Runner 2049. Yeah. I'm a big fan of of the movie Prisoners as well, which he directed. Yep, that's what Hugh Jackman and Jake Gyllenhaal? Yeah, sure. Uh, Yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal, one of my favorites. But um, there's also a super weird movie that he directed, also starring Jake Gyllenhaal, called Enemy. That's one of the weirdest endings I've ever seen in a movie. Um, So... You know, if you're a fan of his movies, maybe go go check that out. It's a very inter- it's it's a very compelling movie, uh, but the ending is just kind of very bizarre. Um, but I'll to answer that question, um, I'll go with uh, Richard Linklater was my choice. Mm, um, yeah, probably my favorite director, um, if not very near the top of the list. Um, and one of the reasons that I chose him is just because. Um, you know, I'd like to think that my that my life movie would probably be like a coming of age story, um, just because. I, th- I feel like that that there's. I don't want to say it's been the most. It's going to end up being the most interesting part of my life. Um, but I think there's definitely a lot of uh, of elements that you could talk about um, with at least like my teenage years or whatever. And Linklater has done an incredible job with coming of age movies in the past. Of course, Boyhood may be the greatest of all time um, in that particular genre. Uh, but also going back to the '90s with classic Days and Confused, and then. Maybe my favorite movie from last year, um, Everybody Wants Some, which I was is mention a that hilarious one, yeah. comedy. Um, yep. It, sort of a spiritual sequel to um, Dazed and Confused and is also a, um, a coming-of-age movie in a, in a sort of way. For sure, um, for sure. Uh, my third question is one I'm interested to hear your answer in. And I, I, uh, I asked, who is an actor that not enough people are talking about? Right, I was thinking about this one actually before. Um, if you already have one in mind, you should go first on this one because I'm still trying to debate this one. Sure. So the person I went with is this actress called Micah Monroe, um, and she, you know, you know, not a familiar name because people aren't talking about her. I guess really that's the point of this question. Um, but I really um, got uh, became a fan of hers back in 
2014 with two movies that she was in. Uh, the first one is called The Guest. Um, it's directed by Adam Wingard, who also made the movie Your Next, um, which is a really good horror thriller as well. And this one was like an 80s-style suspense thriller. Uh, it starred Dan Stevens, who played the uh, the Beast in the Beauty and the Beast movie this year and was on Downton Abbey, of course. Um, and he played like this guy who shows up at the door of his family and says... Um, that he was the friend of their son who died in the military and like he's looking for a place to stay but then you know they start to doubt his story a little bit and it was just a really good like throwback thriller Micah Monroe played the daughter of the family in that movie and then um, so I was intrigued by her performance in that movie and then later I saw her in one of my favorite movies of the decade uh, she played the, the lead um, in It Follows which is mm, David yep, Robert yep. Mitchell's um, horror movie I've seen that um, one and I thought she 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 did an incredible job uh, in this movie as well. Um, she's been in a few movies recently. Um, she was in the uh, Independence Day um, follow-up that came out like last year. Didn't see that. But she has some very interesting uh, projects on the horizon. So I am looking you just just check out her IMDb page if you want to know more about those. But I'm really looking forward to seeing what she does in the future because she definitely grabbed me with those two movies. For sure. And I think... I've decided. I made my decision. Um, All right, great. So this isn't someone who actually stars in that many movies, um, to be honest. I guess I think I can only think of two or three. Uh, but I, I am a huge fan of Michael B. Jordan. Yes, uh, he's a great actor. Yeah. So he, I first saw him when he was in, when he played Oscar Grant in Fruitvale Station back in 2013. Yeah, and that's a great movie. That yeah. movie really like. I don't think I. I can't even say now that that movie has left me yet. I'm, it's still stuck with me. I know it's about a true story. Yeah. Um, but his performance is so, so good in that yeah, movie. It's definitely not one you easily forget. And I was I was really, I, I love that performance because I knew him from even before that from Friday Night Lights. Um, he, was, he appeared in the final couple seasons of that show. Um, and it was really interesting to see him play a, a very different character in Fruitvale Station. Yeah, and, and I, he, he was Johnny Storm, I think, in Fantastic Four, the yeah. 2015 version, which I, di- I didn't see personally. I did not either. And I think, oh, he played Creed in Creed, I'm pretty sure. Yes, of course, he was, he was Adonis. Yeah, yeah, he was Adonis in Creed. And then he, he's the villain um, in the Black Panther movie coming out about a month oh, from now, actually. Oh, interesting, I did not know that, but that's, that's a good bit of casting. But, but yeah, he, uh, he's, he's a great choice. Yeah, I, um, I mean, Grant, like, he's not in, an, like... He hasn't really been in an, enough movies to really get yeah. talked about a lot, but I well, think I mean, that he's someone has, who's worth talking about. Neither has Micah about. Monroe, really. I think that's one of the reasons we, we, we're, you know, sort of tooting our horns for these people because we want them to be in more movies. For sure, and and to be fair, I think Michael B. Jordan. I mean, he's pursuing things be, like outside of movies as well. Like he, uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure that he has a. Does he have a music career? I think he might. I'm not. He might. I'm not. I'm not totally sure, but that doesn't sound that wrong. I could be I could be totally wrong on that one. I'm not sure about that, but yeah, not, he should be either. he should be in more movies. Like you were saying, this is someone I would I would campaign for having in more movies personally, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, next question. Um, this is another one that I'm looking forward to seeing what you answered. Uh, what's a scene from a movie that has a killer use of music? Do you oh, have yeah, an answer, yeah. or do you, would you like me to talk about mine first? I, I have an answer for this for sure. I mean, it's it's almost kind of the easy answer, especially since it was this year. Yeah. I'd have to think a little bit more if I was trying to get one from a few years back, but but actually that's not even true. I can come up with that other one too. Um, this year, 100% Baby Driver's opening scene. I've talked yes. about this scene before. I think this might be the single best scene of last year. Um, 
may arguably like further back than just last year like that scene is so so good i could watch it on repeat i don't know how edgar wright was able to 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 choreograph such an amazing like piece of music with an amazing scene film, like scene in a film it's and he, so, yeah, so he good. does it throughout the entire movie too which is amazing like yep. i was listening to some people talk about the other day the way like how incredible it is the way he synchronized the music with the like even at one point i think there's like there's sirens in the Queen song Brighton Rock that he uses that like perfectly sync up with sirens in the movie, and it's just like a, a, amazing use of music throughout that entire movie. Um, so yeah, that's a great choice. Yeah. And if um, I if I had to go back further than that, that's outside this year. This is this is kind of a cheap one, but uh, the I, I don't know if this he would even count though. But in the original Iron Man movie, the first one with Robert Downey Jr., the very end um, when he says like I am Iron Man, and it immediately riffs to the. Uh, uh, Iron Man song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really by, good. Uh, by Black Sabbath. Yeah, yeah. That, that, is a, that is a great great one, too. And the Back in Black at the start of that movie, you know, it's kind of a cheesy 80s rock song. I thought they used that one really well. Yeah, no, 100%. I agree. Um, but I went with, and this was also an easy answer for me, just because there's one scene that always stands out in my head, um, and it is from a director who is known for his use of, brilliant use of music in movies, Quentin Tarantino. Um, and it's from his movie... Uh, his, his World War II classic, maybe, probably my favorite of his, all of his movies, uh, Inglorious, uh, uh, hmm, as they used to call it on uh, BBC Radio because <laughs> they couldn't say uh, the second word. But um, And it's the scene towards the end of the movie um, when Shoshana uh, Dreyfus, who's the, um, the runaway yep. uh, Jewish girl played by Melanie Laurent, um, and she is getting ready to go to the premiere of... Um, the, the movie uh, that she's screening at her theater where she plans to kill Hitler uh, and all of the all of the other German uh, uh, Reich members in, that are going to be in, in attendance and she's getting ready she has this red dress on and she's putting on lipstick and like she the song playing is um, Cat People by David Bowie and there's just a moment where the song um, explodes it, 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 the lyrics say something like uh, I'm putting out the fire with and then with gasoline is the moment where the song like explodes, and it's awesome because that's actually the, with the plot of the movie. She plans to um, spoilers burn down the theater by dousing all of the film reels with gasoline, so it like links up with what she's planning on doing in the movie. But it is just such a cool scene. Like I, this scene is the epitome of cool to me in a movie. Like I, I've never seen a character look so cool then as Shoshana does in this scene when the David Bowie song is playing. So. That's a great one, and, and Tarantino's movies are littered with great use of music. Um, okay, this next question is a fun one, and it's one that I, I, I'll, I'll give a shout-out to because it's not technically my own question. Um, I stole it from the program Movie Fights, um, which is on YouTube on the Screen Junkies channel. Um, it's a really good um, show where they have different panelists on each week and they ask them five or six sort of opinion-related questions um, in the world of film, and they have to argue it out, and then, you know, there's a judge who declares what the winner is. But this question came from a recent episode of Movie Fights that I watched, and the question is, what movie would you show on a loop to break down someone you are torturing for information? <laughs> I laughed at this one when you sent this one over. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a good. really good one. I think... Um, mm, actually, if you, if you have an answer to this one, go ahead. Yeah, so, you know, I thought you could, honestly, you could go with just a straight-up horrible movie, and this is a really bad movie, um, but I also sort of thought about the what is going to get under someone's skin 
more than any other movie because you're trying to, you know, the idea is you're trying to torture them for information. Um, so the movie I went with is actually High School Musical. Um, <laughs> it's, a ter- it's a terrible movie, um, but also I think the... Controversial and, opinion. And this was okay. something that came up uh, actually in the episode of Movie Fights because Sasha Pearl Raver uh, from Screen Junkies picked... Um, the movie Hairspray from 2007, and I thought she made actually a really good argument because at first everyone was like, "What? Like that doesn't seem like the most obvious choice." But the faux happiness of the characters in this movie and their, you know, smiley, smiley, sing and dance, of like these constantly cheery musical numbers, and they're all so happy and they all fall in love and end up together. I feel like if you're in a torture chamber and you have to watch these people acting like they're happy and singing and dancing these annoying inane songs for like hours on end, like I would snap in a heartbeat. So that was, that was my choice um, for uh, that, that category was high school musical. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's an, that's an interesting. Take. I think that perspective on the question is a really interesting one. Yeah. I think for me, I think it would have to be maybe like some, like it's not just because like the movie is like bad, but like also Nick Cage is so annoying in this film. But, like The Wicker Man, The Wicker Man is like such an annoying film. Not the bees. Not exactly. I, I'm just imagining like for like like three loops in the like person like hearing that crap again. Yeah. And would just be infuriated. Yeah, maybe on the first play it'd be a little entertaining, but yeah, I agree with you. After a while, it's just it's gonna wear you down. Yeah, that's what I've got. Um, okay, next um, question. What is a Best Picture winner that actually deserved to win Best Picture? And I ask the question like that because it seems like the Best Picture Oscar rarely goes to what is actually the best movie of the year. Um, but it happens once in a blue moon, and I'm wondering what you chose for this one. Yeah, so I'm, I'm pretty sure I know what you're going to say, so I want you to go first so I don't, so I don't also say the same movie as you. Okay, well, I wrote two movies down... Um, because I wondered if we might say the same um, choice as well. But the uh, the first movie that I went with, and if you chose this as well, then I'll let you talk about it and I can talk about my other one. Um, it was actually from a couple years ago, and that was Spotlight. Um, I knew you were going to pick that one, yeah. No, you go ahead. Did I'll you pick... pick that one as well? No, no, go ahead. I knew that, I knew that was the one you were going to pick, so yeah. This is my number one movie of the 2010 decade. Um just because I will just never forget how I felt after watching this movie for the first time. Like, it literally just takes your breath away. Um, and, like, it just, it's, I just love how understated this movie is. And um, the fact that there are no showy performances, there's no, you know, big set pieces or sex and violence or any of that. It is just, a, like, incredible incredibly sad, but incredibly inspiring in, a, in another way. Story told incredibly well. Um, by director Tom McCarthy um, and this amazing cast. Um, so for me, like that was unquestionably the best movie of 2015, and it's just so good that I don't even think the Oscar voters could ignore it. Um, so yeah, that's an easy one for me. Spotlight. It's interesting too to just talk about Spotlight because it was definitely it's definitely one of the easy picks for me to the answer to that question. Yeah. Um, because it's not, like I don't think it's an easy Oscar pick though because it is controversial like the, like the subject material that it's talking about is incredibly sensitive it's something that I could picture um, the academy straying away from just to not, not have that conversation uh, so I was really happy because I agree with you that it's clearly the best film from 2015 yeah. um, I think that's a, that's a fair point I also think though on, on to push back a little bit 
that it is sort of an old-fashioned type movie. I mean, everyone has compared it to All the President's Men. You go back to the 70s, um, sort of this jur- the journalists, you know, investigative thriller toward, involving journalists. I mean, newspaper is kind of a, you know, an old-fashioned idea anyway. Sure, so I sure. think that that probably maybe attracted Oscar voters even more so than the controversial aspects of it. But yeah, I, I definitely agree with you on that. Yep. So I know that I'm, this is going to come up twice because it's also the answer to my one of my questions later. Okay. Um, but I think from in 2006, uh, The Departed is like just easily the best picture of that year. The Departed. Yeah. yeah that's a yeah. choice. Yeah. I, w- I won't, I won't uh, copy the other lines from that movie in a Boston accent because most of them are irreverent or very vulgar. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. So, to be fair, I'll go ahead and read the other nominees from that year because uh, this is back when they still only did, they only did five movies. But uh, Babel, uh, Letters from Iwo Jima, Little Miss Sunshine, and The Queen. And granted, I haven't seen all the movies on this list. Uh, I'm sure some of them are very, very good. But ba- Departed Babel for- was not that great. Well, yeah, I, I wasn't thinking of Babel when I said this movie. These movies yeah. are probably pretty good. But The Departed, to me, like, I mean, I've already kind of showed my hand that Leonardo DiCaprio is one of my favorite actors. Uh, Scorsese is a fantastic director. And just the cast in general in that film is unreal. Yeah, to me, as far as crime movies go, that one is almost on the level of something like Goodfellas or The Untouchables or The Godfather. Um, yeah. I mean, in my, in my opinion, it's better than Goodfellas, but that's just me. It's it, I, That's definitely a conversation. I mean, same director, you know. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah, definitely, yeah, yeah. definitely a yeah. conversation. He has, he has a, an unbelievable uh, gift, when it, especially when it comes to the field of crime movies. Yeah, um, I agree. So we'll go on to the next question now, um, which is... Uh, a lighthearted question. Um, what movie makes you laugh no matter how many times you've seen it? Yeah, so that, that was, I actually really liked seeing this question on here. And I, honestly, I have a ton of answers for this for this question. Yeah, um, I do too, honestly. Especially, I mean, even from this year, like The Big Sick and Lady Bird are kind of easy. And yeah. just granted, I haven't seen those films the number of times I've seen the film that I did choose just because uh, it hasn't been that many years yet. And yeah. it hasn't, I haven't seen the films enough yet. But for me, right now, Deadpool, I just cannot stop laughing every single time. Just like horrible, irreverent movie. Uh, I yeah. mean, a very good movie, I think. I think it's actually a very well done film. But it is, I don't know if you if you ever saw it, but it is so, so funny. Like the humor is of a particular brand that if you don't like it, you're not going to like most of the movie. Sure. But it's, uh, it's, Ryan Reynolds does such a good job in that movie. Every everyone does a good job. I'm a little concerned about Deadpool two, two because the director actually left the film uh, um, from for because of creative differences with yeah. Ryan Reynolds. But I'm gonna put some faith in him that it's still gonna be the same kind of the same brand of humor that's delivered really well, that's written really well. But uh, Deadpool two is so so funny. Yeah, oh, sorry, Deadpool uh, Deadpool one. My bad. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, you, it's not too early to hope, but. Uh... But yeah, so I went with the movie, um, which for me is the funniest movie of all time. Um, and like, you know, there are movies you mentioned like Lady Bird and the Big Sick, and, and these are movies that have, have very funny moments in them. But to me, I, 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 for this question, I just went with a movie that is just a straight up comedy, like belly laugh comedy that just goes for as many laughs as it can possibly um, muster and basically hits a home run on almost every joke. like. The first time I saw this movie, like I could not believe how funny basically every single joke is, and that we're gonna go all the way back to 1980 is the movie Airplane. Yeah, um, it's a hilarious movie. Yeah, which is a spoof of disaster movies of the airport movies from the 70s. Um, 
Yeah, and it's directed by the Zuckers, who went on to make The Naked Gun, which is also a hilarious film. Um, What's your favorite joke but, in the movie? Because most of those jokes are fairly clean. You can, you can repeat those on podcasts. Oh my gosh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm just trying to think. There, there are just so many um, classic moments in that movie. Of course, Don't Call Me Shirley is, a, is yep. an amazing joke. Um, but there's a coffee joke, right? In that. I don't know if that one's appropriate for a podcast. Yeah, that's that, that, that pretty great, but yeah. Yeah, maybe, maybe not the most appropriate one. But I also, I don't know, this is just a, a, one of the weird, funny lines that stays with me, um, is when... Um, when they're trying to figure out who, uh, why they got sick on the plane, um, and Leslie Nielsen, who plays the doctor, says to the flight attendant, um, and he says, "What what did they have for dinner?" And and she says, "They had a choice of steak or fish." And Leslie Nielsen's character says, "Oh yes, I remember. I had the lasagna." <laughs> it's, it's, it's a weird, bizarre moment, but that one sticks out to me. Also, the character of John, John Johnny, who was like the he's in the uh, air traffic control booth like on the ground and he's just the one who's always making jokes at every, what everyone else is saying is like he has some great lines too but yeah I mean that movie like it, it, it will never get old um, okay my next question this may be the hardest question honestly I had to dig deep to find an answer for this one but what is a video game based movie that doesn't suck because they all notoriously suck oh yeah yeah when you asked this question I, I laughed out loud at this because um, I can't think of one so a video game based movie that doesn't suck. So I mean, Assassin's Creed from last year was terrible. Yeah. Um, I just don't even really see them anymore. Oh, um, I don't see them either. To be fair. Do you want me to tell you say what my choice was? Well, I wonder if we have, if we're gonna pick the same one. So this isn't. So this one's a little. This one's iffy. This one's like based generally on video games. Okay. But I think that this would probably be widely received as probably the best one of this genre. But like Wreck It Ralph is probably the best. The best movie. I did not on. even think about that, but yeah, that is a way above and beyond the movie that I chose. But yeah, I mean, it definitely has a lot of video game. Yeah, it's it's inspired by like there are real video game characters in the film. It's inspired by video games. Um, I think that that's probably the best one. I don't, not really sure that that's what your question was asking. To be fair. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, I don't. I'm not gonna disqualify your yeah. anything. Yeah. I'm really exci- I'm really interested to see what Ready Player One is gonna be like. Cause again, I know yeah. it's kind of like a Wreck It Ralph thing, but that that is. Like that's based on a book that was written a by a, a someone who writes video games. So I think that's probably maybe a little bit closer to what this category is. But I think that Ready Player One could really break the trend. I mean, we're at the point now where like video game movies, uh, th- like at this point, like they're they're not even being picked up by by like film studios anymore. Like yeah, they're, they're just being point, rejected. Though I feel like where if a director is committed enough and a director tries hard enough, they can make a movie that doesn't suck. Like, I it, it sounds like. I'm making it sound really simple, but, like, with Star Wars, I mean, we're going to talk about Star Wars in a second, but, like, with Episode Seven, The Force Awakens, like, I know a lot of people were nervous about it, but, like, with J.J. Abrams, there was honestly very little doubt that entered my mind leading up to The Force Awakens that it was going to be a great movie, because I was like, J.J. Abrams, here's a guy, he knows what he's doing, like, he understands the Star Wars franchise. He knows that the prequels were very disappointing. Like, he's going to take his time, and he's going to make sure this is a movie that can please everyone. So I feel like if a director is really committed uh, to making a video game movie that um, uh, that doesn't suck, then they could probably do so, as long as it's not, like, Colin Trevorrow or, you know, <laughs> Brett Ratner or somebody. I think but, it's... I, to be fair, though, I think it is really difficult, in the same way that it's sometimes really difficult to adapt, um, like, really famous, like, children's novels. Yeah to the to the big screen 
that it, it video games are not are not something that are consumed in the course of like two to three hours. Mo- like some of them, especially even like the most successful ones these days, are eighty to a hundred hours long. That's that's fair, yeah. And it's really difficult to condense story down into that length. Um, like some people, like again, there are really good adapted like films that have been adapted from novels. Like Harry Potter films do a very good job for the most part. Of course, yeah. And it's you're always going to lose some people because part like going from whatever the original source material was to the screenplay, like you're going to have to cut material. Like at the end of the yeah. day, that's what you're going to have to do, and, and you're going to you're going to upset pe- some people, and then the people who aren't necessarily as big fans of the, of the source material, you might you might grab them because of that. But the thing for me is that I just want a video game movie to not try to adapt a video game story. Like, the Tomb Raider movie that's coming out this year is, like, a direct oh, adaptation yeah. of that rebooted video game from yeah, that's 2000... Yeah, that's a really good game, actually. From, like, 2012 to 2013. And I'm, like, yeah. really concerned that it's, like, a direct strip of that game story. Because I'm, like, like the, I don't understand how they're going to do this. Like, that game was 15 hours long. Yeah. Like, I don't understand... Is under- it Alicia Vikander that's playing Lara Croft? Correct, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, she's the one playing, yeah, and there was like all that. There was all the jokes about the weird uh, editing that, like, Photoshop they did on the on the poster for the film. I don't, oh, I don't know yeah. if you saw that, but uh, yeah, she's she's doing that. Like, I'm really concerned about that. And there's been an Uncharted movie like in production for like six oh, or yeah. seven years at this point, and it keeps getting like rewritten and rewritten and rewritten. And it's to the point now where like, if that movie ever comes out, I hope to God that they do not adapt one of the games into a film. Like, I want them to like do a new story. And I think that's yeah. that's the direction that a video game movie should go. It should go towards a new story. You can use the same characters. That's totally fine. I mean, it depends on the franchise, right? Like if it's Assassin's Creed, you're not you don't have to use the same characters. But if it's Uncharted, you would need to use the same characters. And I yeah. think that it just really needs to like I think decouple itself from a, a written story. Like I'm really concerned about the Tomb Raider movie like, just sucking. But but at the same time, like Alicia Vikander is a great actress. Um, they have a really good crew. I think, if I remember correctly, I don't remember off the top of my head who the director is, but I think it's a pretty yeah. pretty good director. Um, so I can't, I can't, I honestly can't remember either. But yeah, I think that's the that's the part that's the hard part is just getting the right people involved. Um, but uh, I'll just just to answer, give my answer quickly. Um, but it, you know, I, I the question was a movie that doesn't suck. So I will say this movie does not suck, but it is also not a great movie. Um, but I chose it because did not suck and that was um, prince of persia the sands of time um okay which came out several years ago um it wasn't and, good you know, <laughs> this movie it's kind of a, it's kind of a fun romp although you have to suspend your disbelief of jake gyllenhaal playing the prince of persia yeah um, we won't talk about that we'll skip over that after our, our good section in in the golden globes <laughs> but like i said uh, I, i'm a big fan of jake gyllenhaal so i enjoyed him and also alfred molina has like a really funny supporting performance as like a guy who arranges ostrich races in this movie um <laughs> I forgot about I, I that. I don't know why that's always stuck out. I've, I've only seen it one time. I saw it like right when it came out. But yeah, it doesn't suck. It's probably, I mean, it's definitely one of the better ones. That was like 2010. Um, that was, even that was a while ago now, right? Yeah, that was six or seven years. Um, but we'll go to the next question, uh, question number nine to ten. Um, and that is, what is the best Star Wars movie? Yeah. We, we, we could, we're both big Star Wars fans. I know, so we could get into a lot, but we'll try and, uh, we'll try and be, be swift with this one. Yeah, I, I, we'll try to be swift. We won't take too much time. I think for me, I don't really have a good answer to that question yet. I'm still kind of waiting through episode eight. I'm yeah. I I would be really interested to, to know, pers- like for me personally, if I if I had lived through the original Star Wars movies, 
how that would take an effect on like what my favorite film is. But I think yeah, I- that that for me, it it's going to be episode seven or eight. Um, if I had to, I mean, oh oof, yeah, um, episode I eight. I I wasn't disappointed in episode eight. I know there's a huge controversy out there uh, about whether or not episode whether or not you like episode eight. I think for me, I was the one who really enjoyed episode eight. It wasn't my fi- it wasn't my favorite film of the year by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but it was very good. I like it right up there with episode seven and Rogue One. All the new movies have been really good in my opinion. Um, I, yeah, I, I loved The Last Jedi. I thought it was great. Um, but I think that's a good point about if we had lived through the original era, things might be different. Because yeah. I can see, you know, when The Empire Strikes Back came out, the reveal of Darth Vader being Luke's father, like that would have wrecked that's my crushing. life. That's crushing. Yeah, that that is that is life altering material. So that so that's why I hesitate to not say Episode Five because yeah. I know like because it, it is a good movie like. People, I mean, I know people often actually, ironic that that's the most memorable scene of the movie, and people often forget um, that planet, I think, when you actually ask them, like, what planets they visit in Episode 5. Um, but, but yeah, I yeah. don't know, like, Episode 7 and Rogue One are both very, very high-quality movies. I really, I really liked Episode 8, personally. I know it's a controversial take out there, but... My choice was The Force Awakens, um... Just because I think that this movie does everything that um, A New Hope... Like, it has everything that made A New Hope such a smash hit, but it is also a very well-made film. Yeah. Like, it's not risky Hope, at all. You have to say that. Like, they do... They, and they do a... But yeah, they, I don't mean that to its decrement. Like, they do a really good job yeah. nailing the basics, getting the things right they need to get right, the casting, the character development initially, like, having the nostalgic hits with... Han Solo and Chewbacca and exactly. Princess it's, Leia. Exactly, it's the it's the perfect blend of nostalgia and but not borrowing a lot from George Lucas because he has a lot of shortcomings as a filmmaker. And I think you said the magic words of character development, which there's not you know a lot in the original Star Wars, even in the original trilogy. Um, yeah, so I, I, think- I mean the joke is that like Mark Hamill was cast as Luke not because he was a good actor and could like develop a character well, but because he was good looking. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't doubt it. But I think to see, when I saw The Force Awakens, to see a movie that captures everything, all of the, you know, the excitement of exploration and all of that that made the, the original movie so such a huge hit, while still just being a film that holds up against any other sci-fi action movie out there, like, as an as a incredibly well-made film with great characters and great action, um... I think The Force Awakens is the choice for me, and, you know, but who knows, maybe in 25 years when um, the they've made 20 more Star Wars movies, then this movie will be viewed the same way The Empire Strikes Back is viewed by us today. I think it'd be interested to see how time changes things. Yeah, and I, and um, I give episode 8, I, I, I do think it does, it's, it takes more risks, as I've mentioned, it takes more risks, and, so, and I will say that it has lower lows than The Force Awakens, but I give it so much credit, and it does such a good job with some of the, like the real things that it hits on it. I'm thinking particularly like the lightsaber, like the only the only real lightsaber sequence in the movie is just like maybe the best action sequence in Star Wars. Yeah. Um, okay, we're gonna go to our final question now, um, and this is you know the most simple question of them all, but also in some ways very complicated because I know that narrowing it down to one answer was very difficult to me. Um, and that is, what is your favorite movie of all time? 
yeah, not an easy question, um, or at least it shouldn't be, um, especially someone who, who does like to keep up with films and see a lot of films when I can. Uh, for, for me, like I said we were going to mention it again, um, and we get to talk about it more now, but I think The Departed, Departed is maybe my favorite film of all time. I by no means want to say that it is the best film of all time. I do not yeah, think, I do not think that. Yeah, um, but I think The Departed is so good. Like, I'm, like, I mean, all of the performances, I mentioned it before, but, like, Leonardo DiCaprio, Matt Damon, Mark Wahlberg, uh, is it, is it uh, Martin Sheen? Is that his name? I forget. Yeah, Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson. I can't forget Jack Nicholson. And Eric then, Armiga, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and there's all so good. Um, can't spoil the movie for anyone out there who hasn't seen it who might go see it, because to have that movie spoiled for you is, like, a, is a sin, because yeah. the ending Don't is so crazy. Don't ever spoil the elevator. <laughs> exactly but it's so good and it has so many memorable lines none of which are repeatable in public yeah <laughs> and uh yeah. i think when that time it came out maybe it had like the record for most f-bombs in a mainstream film or something but it wouldn't surprise me or, or some, i think yeah. the wolf of wall street might have actually passed it by now but. i, th- I th- i'm pretty sure now the wolf of wall street does have the most yeah yep um but that's for me that's my okay. favorite film so my answer, um, and, you know, I, I kind of narrowed it down to two films. And the film which was my runner-up was The Untouchables, which I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, Brian De Palma's great, uh, also also a crime movie like yours, um, about um, Elliot Ness and his band of ragtag lawmen and how they took down Al Capone. It's a movie that I've seen, you know, 50 times probably. Like, I, I just have loved it ever since I watched it for the first time. I think when I was in middle school, maybe. But... Um, I decided to go with the other movie that I was able to narrow it down to just because of the impact this movie has had on my life um, in addition to, you know, just it being an incredible watch that I watch all the time. Um, and that is the movie A Few Good Men, um, which, of course, directed by Rob Reiner, written by Aaron Sorkin, which he adapted from his play. Um, I'm a Sorkin homer. Um, I love everything that he does, and we'll talk about Molly's Game on the next episode because I just saw it. But... Um, this movie, um, you know, I I don't want to say that I wasn't interested in the field of law before I saw this movie, because I definitely was. Um, but this movie, to me, just kind of introduced me to what, even though, even though, you know, obviously it's a movie and it's, you know, dramatized and theatrical to a certain extent, um, it really sold the profession of law to me um, as, as an ennobling profession, as, as something, you know, where you can really make a difference and, and stand up for what's right and stand up for people who, um, you know, stand up for what's right, like I said. Um, and, you know, amazing performances. Tom Cruise, Demi Moore, uh, Kevin Bacon, Jack Nicholson, Kevin Pollack. I mean, you can go all the way down the list, all the way to Cuba Gooding Jr. and Noah Wiley, who both are like have really small parts in this movie. Kiefer Sutherland is amazing um, as Lieutenant Kendrick. Um yeah, I mean, I think I know every single line of this movie. Like, I think if you started it right now, I could just uh, <laughs> quote along with the movie. But, yeah, like I, like I said, I went with that one not just because it's an amazing movie, but because of also the impact that it's had on my life. Um, because, of course, I'm now in law school. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm not going to enter the uh, military like Danny Caffey, but um, <laughs> hopefully I, I can someday aspire to be uh, as good of a lawyer as Danny Caffey or even as, as Jack Ross, Kevin Bacon's prosecutor in the movie, because they're both great. Well, embarrassingly, I used to be able to quote most of Mean Girls. Uh, I, oh, okay. I don't, I don't know if I could still do that, but there was definitely a point in college where I would watch that movie probably like every semester, and definitely. <laughs> On it, to wear pink. Yep, and, and and definitely be able to quote most of it. 
I, 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 it's been a while since I've seen it now, but I wonder if I can yeah, still do I, it. Yeah, that movie actually came up today because I'm going to this mock trial competition next week. We were trying to come up with a, a little humorous line in one of our witnesses' directs. Um, basically, we were trying to come up with a background for a person um, who lived at this apartment complex, just a sort of funny story, and we decided to make them the inventor of the toaster strudel, <laughs> um, just like Gretchen Wieners' father in Mean Girls. So. Well, I can't go wrong with that. Well, I don't know, but that was a lot of fun to do those 10 questions. And yeah, to great. round things out today, why don't we each say what we've been watching recently outside of movie theaters? We'll try to do this every week or every time we do the show. Um, why don't you go first? Okay, so I'm going to talk about a little show on YouTube that Scott has heard me talk about a lot um, and that I've actually showed him an episode the other night. But I think this was the thing that I had to talk about for this episode just because it has uh, consumed my life, I guess you could say, for the past four or five months I've really gotten into watching this show um, and just all the storylines and every and the whole community and universe surrounding it because there actually is kind of a, a big community and universe surrounding it surprisingly enough you're, you're probably going to think this sounds really dumb when I'm describing it but there's a very passionate fan base out there believe it or not um, this is a little show on YouTube called the Movie Trivia Schmodown um, and it is on the Collider Videos Network um, it used to be it's the guy, it's called the Schmodown because it's run by the guys who did Schmo's No, um, which was a movie review show that started years ago. Um, Christian Harloff and Mark Ellis are the two guys, um, are the, are the Schmo's. There are a lot of other people involved. Um, but, um, so they started the, the Schmodown as sort of a little segment of their Schmo's No movie show. And then the Collider, I guess, picked up the Schmo's No show at some point, I think maybe 2014 or 15. And, they made the Schmodown its own separate show and increased the production value by a lot. I mean, just really hyped things up. But really what it is, it's a combination of movie trivia, just like a, a, your standard game show. Um, but it combines it with the kayfabe storytelling uh, elements of world wrestling because the people who are involved, Christian Harloff, is a huge world wrestling fan. Uh, so there's all these, like, storylines and there's factions and there's you know everybody has sort of a character that they play and there's heels and faces which are like terms for heroes and villains um in 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 wrestling um but like i've been surprised how much i got into it just after discovering it one day on um on youtube um and they just finished the fourth season of the show with the schmodown spectacular which is a huge six match like over th over four hours maybe event split up into three videos um and there are a lot of interesting things that happen with the whole storylines um with all, all the characters and everything um so yeah i mean if you, you probably no one out there who's listening to this is gonna have heard of the schmodown or seen any episodes but uh i highly recommend checking it out on the collider videos channel on youtube uh because it is a lot of fun and even if you're not a huge trivia buff and even if you you know you're not having a lot of fun playing along with the show, which is something that I like to do, because another thing is that the, the questions are, they're the right level of difficulty. Like, they're not too difficult, and they're not too easy. Like, I, I, I always feel like I could do pretty well if I was ever on the Schmodown. Like, I don't think I'd get every question right, but I would also be able to hold my own, probably win my fair share of matches if I was on the Schmodown. So that's one of the fun things about it is when you know you know, a question, and Chris Skaliski, who writes the questions, does a great job with just picking out a lot of, you know, fun questions for movies. Um, so, yeah, but the new season of The Schmodown is premiering um, February 3rd. Um, they're going to have a big triple threat match uh, between three of the big figures in The Schmodown League, Rachel Cushing, Mac Mike Kalinowski, and... 
JTE, also known as Josh the Engineer. Um, and so, you know, take it, just take me at my word. Go check out an episode. Maybe maybe watch the spectacular. Just get an idea of what the Schmodown is all about, um, and then check it out once season five starts. I'm going to try and get Scott uh, to try and watch it. Um, I'm still I'm still waiting on your like your like novel explainer primer, to catch yeah, me I, up. I think yeah, I may have to send you that because you know there's a like I said there's a there's a lot of devoted movie Schmodown fans out movie show Schmodown fans out there, and there are even some podcasts. So you know if we could get a, a weekly segment. Where we talk about the Schmodown, I'd be able to get some new listeners, but you know, we'll see. check it out on Collider Video. Hey, you know, if it'll get us more views, if you if you can connect with that network of people, I'll yeah. I'll do it. If it'll get us more more well, like listeners, like I said, I'm on the Facebook page. People are always posting about you know their podcasts and stuff. So I mean, even like like this one of the things that I like about the movie trivia Schmodown is that the the people who are involved are really connected with the fan base because they're not like big celebrities or anything really. Um, so, like, Christian Harloff is constantly posting on the um, page and commenting on people's, and he watches people's reaction videos. <laughs> Tom Dagnino, who's another big um, figure, he, he does kind of the same thing. But, like, you know, all the competitors and everything are, are also part of this community on the, on the Facebook page. So it's really cool that for, for fans to just be able to interact with these people that they see on the show. Yeah, that does sound pretty cool. I know that the the episode that you showed me was was pretty good, and, and I think to reiterate something that you said that that's something that's not that really should not be undervalued is like nailing the right level of difficulty. It's it's not yeah. something that's easy to do, uh, and so it, it, if I'll take you at your word that he nails the right level of difficulty for those questions, because if that if that is true, then that's a true gift. I will say that I will add as one last point. Um, there's like a in addition to the regular movie trivia league. Um, there's a couple additional leagues, like the Inner Geekdom League, which focuses on big geeky franchises. Like all the questions come from Marvel, DC, um, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, Star Trek. There's like a you know a list of about ten or twelve franchises. So they have that, which is pretty fun and gets a lot more specific. And then there's the hardest of all, which is the Just Star Wars division oh, and God. the Star Wars title match, which just happened at the Schmodown Spectacular between Sam Witwer and Ken Knapsack. People are saying it's the greatest Schmodown match in history. Uh, it was a 30-minute Iron Man match. They literally just asked over 60 questions, just kept kept pumping them out over 30 minutes, and whoever had the most points at the end was the winner. And, like, the specificity of these questions is unreal, and the fact that these guys knew them, and the finish to the match is incredible. So, like, check it out, because, like, you know, that that is one where, even though I knew probably three of, out of the 60 questions they asked, and that's even being a big Star Wars fan, it was just incredible to watch these guys show off their unbelievable knowledge about the Star Wars universe. All right. Well, I think I think you gave a, a, a very good plug for that show just now. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that's great. I think, yeah, I think that's definitely something worth checking out. And if you do send that primer over to me, I might actually check out. And All right. It, I'll get to work. Yeah, get to work. That'll, that'll keep you busy for a couple weeks. Um, yeah. yeah. So for me, I've been watching. So I've been doing the whole watch a Marvel movie every week leading up into Avengers Infinity War. Uh, stay tuned. Might be a couple podcasts being released about that as well with some of my friends who are doing that with me. Um, but other than that, I've been like I mentioned earlier, way back in the part one, I'm I've been watching Big Little Lies, uh, which has been very good yeah. so far. I'm three episodes in, I believe. Um, so, so it, it's a lot and really really good. I don't know what I thought this TV show was because I remember seeing advertisements for it and I was like, ah, I'm not that interested in it. I don't yeah. really know what it was because I am so into it. Like, it's really as, good. As soon as I found out yeah. what it actually was, I was like, why the hell did I not just watch this immediately? Um, yeah, and 
you know, I talked about how talent involved is incredible. But yeah. It's, just, it's, it's a really good story, and it has some really interesting stuff to say about, you know, marital abuse. Like, I think it confronts that issue. Oh, yeah, def- definitely. Head on. Um, so which is, I mean, not, not just marital abuse in and out of relationships, I think. Yes, yes. Yep. Um, yeah, so that's what I've been watching. I've also... I'm trying to think, what's the last movie I watched outside of movie theaters? It might have been... I mean, I've been watching the Avengers movies, so that's probably yeah. what it is for me. But um, have you watched any movies recently outside of theaters? I know you mentioned the Schmodown, but... I'm trying to think. Yeah, so I did... I actually watched... I might do a little review of it on our next show, because it is a 2018 movie. Um, it is called Blame. Um, and I just saw this movie online, and I, I thought it looked interesting, so I thought I'd give it a watch. Um, and it's by this actress, I've never heard of her, named Quinn Shepard. But she's only 22 years old, and she has written and directed this movie, and she stars in it. Um, and it's kind of a high school drama type, but it is it is loosely inspired by, um, I think it's The Crucible, maybe, Arthur Miller. No, 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 it's, I can't even remember. I mean, I, I should be able to remember, because they literally act out the play in the movie, I'm pretty sure. But, um, but yeah, it's inspired by some play, but it's a really dark high school drama. Um, Chris Messina, um, I don't know if you recognize his name, but he's kind of a character actor. He's appeared in a lot of things. If you remember, uh, we were both big fans of the newsroom back in the day. Um, mm-hmm. Chris Messina played Reese on the newsroom. Um, oh, really? Okay, yeah. I know exactly yeah, who that is. He plays the teacher in this movie, and he kind of gets involved between these two girls, one of whom is played by Quinn Shepard, um, and it's kind of like... Well, I won't really spoil anything. And then the other one is this kind of girl from who's like the wrong side. Of, she's like from the wrong side of the tracks. Um, Ladybird. You know, she's from Ladybird. I'm not, I, I like it was. It was okay. Like it was. It was pretty. It was a good movie for a 22 year old making her filmmaking debut. Like I was impressed with the what she was able to bring to this story. Um, but you know, it's not something that stays with me. It's not going to make my top. Uh, movie of the year movies of the year list or anything but it was it was an interesting watch i'm not sorry that i watched it at all fair enough all right then so i think that will just about do it for this sound check episode of some like it scott uh scott where where can people find you on twitter uh i am at scarby dent yeah that's uh i changed my handle recently but it's scarby dent s-c-a-r-b-e-y d-e-n-t and follow me along follow, follow along with me i tweet a lot about sports um so just be prepared for that but yeah <laughs> yeah and uh i'm s shelton 2013 on twitter i tweet less about sports although i do retweet benjamin mindy a that's lot right, so you tweet a lot about man city that's true i I, re- I just retweet ben mindy mainly that's he's hilarious um yeah, so how yeah. you feeling today after their first loss I feel fine. Like it didn't bother me that much, especially after we scored two goals at the end. Like, yeah, I, I think I, I tweeted out like, "Oh no, now they'll only be like forty-two points clear at the top of the table." Yeah, like, it really doesn't change anything. Yeah, I mean, Chelsea didn't gain points on them this weekend. Really, I think they yeah. drew at home to Leicester. I'm not even sure. Yeah, it was nil. Yeah, and then I know Manchester United play tomorrow, so we could be down to twelve points. But I think a twelve-point lead is still unreal at this stage worried, yeah. of the season. I'm not worried at all. Liverpool played well. I'm not concerned about them catching us for the title, though. <laughs> So, yeah, so please rate and review us uh, on Apple Podcasts so more people can find out about us. We'll be back next week with our first real episode. And thank you all so much for listening. Bye, everyone.